It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. It's the end of season edition. My name's Alan Deegan and I'm sitting here in the Westwood with the Craggy crew, minus Rob, who's who's busy working, but I've got William Davis. Hello, Alan. Lindley McKenzie. Afternoon. And Dave Finn. Good afternoon. And we're also missing Packy, who was unable to make it. I think he's enjoying the sun somewhere out in Ballykinnely, I think. Um, yeah. Heck of an end of the season, really, wasn't it? This day last week, I believe it was, Brendan Fanning on The Independent broke the news that um, Kieran Kane and Connacht are parting ways. Of course, we haven't had any official confirmation of that, but it does appear to be something that's uh, on the cards. Bit of a shock, William. Yeah, I don't think that's the way they wanted it to come out, but you know that's the way the, the world is. Sometimes you don't get to control all these things. Um, they haven't confirmed it but they certainly haven't denied it mm. and if it's with the legal people then they can say absolutely nothing they'll be dotting I's and crossing T's and putting commas in places and taking them out And it's very complex Yeah, when you're terminating somebody's contract in this scenario so they're, they just can't they, 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 and I don't think there's any point in them issuing a statement that says we're issuing a statement to tell you we can't issue a statement. That's, I know people are frustrated and there's some stuff on the message boards and it's created a bit of a vacuum and articles are coming and being written, mm. but they can't. So when it's done, it'll be done. Yeah, Lindley, it wasn't, um, wasn't something we were expecting, certainly not after the last post-match press conference when KK seemed very relaxed and seemed very keen to get going on for the, the next season. Yeah, well, it was obviously something that, in in hindsight, when you that that the the members of of the Connacht rugby obviously had been discussing it and had been it was on the cards. We understand for for quite some time, but certainly in terms of Karen Keane, he he appeared oblivious of mm. the, that fact, um, given the fact that his last press conference he was very confident and he was very assured about the way forward and talking about his team of management his management team and looking forward to you know the pre-season and as he said himself we didn't want to be caught with our pants down again because we were because of the pre-season that was missed last last year so as far as he was concerned he had another two years on his contract and I think it must have come as a, a, a shock to him I think it was. Like I'm, I was out in one of the local pubs after the game. I think myself, myself and Dave were there, and, and we saw him out with the coaches. And, and his dear lady wife was there. His dear lady wife was there. She's a lovely lady. Whether it's the right decision or not, I reserve judgment. Everyone's going to have their own opinion. I do think there are issues that about how it's been announced. That I have problems with. I do think. Remember, it hasn't been announced. How it's been made. How this suggested development has been made public. I think there's a serious problem that Connacht has with somebody leaking in the RFU. Not necessarily from Connacht, but it feeds into again. It means that Connacht were not in control of the message, and I think that's the fundamental issue. I agree with William. There's a lot of legal issues to be gone, especially when you're considering that somebody's has travelled half way around the world and will probably have to travel back again uh, there are issues as well regarding uh, I, I, regarding again is about there is now a power if this again we're assuming this is what's going to happen there's a power vacuum at top and we need to be a coach coming through as there as we've seen with Dan McFarland also you've got a lot of concern with the fact that he might not come for nine months with the same issues last year there are many there are many many issues but I think what Connacht have to do now is remain in control of the message and it would help if people in the RFU didn't leave stories to Brendan Fanning well, it certainly seemed to be that way, but you know, like I suppose one of the reasons it's happened is because 
the season didn't really go as well as, as we would have liked and, and obviously um, again assuming this is a real decision again we're, we're, we're working on the basis that it is um, seven wins in the league wasn't enough especially with a team that had won a championship two years ago I think it probably runs a bit deeper than that I think, I think the, the failure to win more than seven games is huge the fact that a couple more wins and they'd actually be in the playoff against Ulster rather than the Ospreys but that's ifs and buts it didn't happen they didn't they didn't win more than one game at a time in the Pro 14 I don't think they had two wins in a row um, at any stage in the season I think they did I think earlier on they did went on a four game winning streak having won two in Europe and then won okay. one two but yeah but it, it the, the real issue is here this decision failed we were told he was the perfect fit nine months later he's been relieved of his duties now that can happen but Connacht have to take a bit of ownership of that and they have to look at how the decision was made why Kieran Kane was chosen right back at the start in a podcast way back I was I said he was an odd choice for somebody without real experience as a head coach in a professional setup to come in and that role it's a huge role it's much bigger role than any of the in, independent or the individual coaching roles, like forwards, backs. You have to have a, a vision over the whole coaching setup. Yeah, I think just just breaking in on that, vision was only used once all season, and that was at the very very start, and we haven't heard from it since. I think it was something I think Pat Lamb had said the previous year that that vision people talk about a vision, then it's 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 just it's just given lip service, but we could do it more of the vision whether that needs to be the coach doing it or whether it needs somebody else in there pushing what Connacht are trying to achieve I'm not quite sure I don't think personally it should necessarily be the coach I think we had Pat Lamb doing it because Pat Lamb was particularly brilliant and, and, and a particular genius at that sort of stuff I think it's very difficult for anyone else to come and do it that's not the point I'm making the point I'm making is it was his job to lead the coaching team mm. and for whatever reason it doesn't seem to have gelled okay I don't think he was ever comfortable in the role until right at the end he suddenly became, to me, just listening to him, that he had now got a hold of this role. But I think the whole scale of it maybe came as a bit of a surprise to him or what, what it entailed in the, the depth and the detail that was needed. And the inference is that the communication wasn't there between... Uh, Kieran Kane and the whole coaching structure and it seems as well with the players Murray Kinsler brought that up in an article and or maybe the way he communicated with them just didn't work mm. and it, look it's an unfortunate situation but they've obviously they must have made a decision on this but they, they didn't might have been easier to have actually said you know what we'll sit on this and we'll see how he goes next year yeah, that's what I that's what I was was thinking. What what what's your thoughts on it, Lindley? As for the reasons why Kieran Keane is 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 has been sacked, um, we don't really know. We can only speculate. We can only listen to what other people are uh, suggesting. Mm. And you know, it, it's very hard when you, you 
I mean, in our position, we obviously met Kieran Keane frequently, and you know, we got to know him over the course of press conferences. And I suppose the local media were more privileged than than, than a lot of people who were ne- who were hardly maybe came down, you know, from Dublin or wherever, you know, once once in a while. But we were there, so we did see him kind of grow into the role you know week by week and become a lot more confident in himself and confident with those around him you know I think for anybody coming into a new role he came in from being an assistant I think there's and I think I say this because there's quite stark differences between himself and and Pat Lamb Mm. Pat Lamb was a man who came over here to prove something because he was understandably peed off he had been fired mm. from the blues he came over and he's he's he came over with crossing every i and crossing every t and dotting every i with his own management team and, and a whole new structure and we've also got to remember he came over here basically in the absence of a CEO, so he in fact, in many ways, became the the CEO of Connaught Rugby professionalism because he led it. Mm. And for that, you know, Connaught Rugby are, are obviously will be forever grateful. Mm-hmm. Kieran Keane was a, is a different, is a, just a different person and a different animal. And you know, we can only look at Kieran Keane from a media point of view how we found him. Mm. We don't know what happens happened behind the scenes. We don't know how he re- inter- interacted with players or interacted with players or other coaching teams. So we can I can't make that decision why he has been sacked. They might have very valid reasons. Mm. I don't know what they are. Mm. But from sitting from the outside all I can say was that I found him to be a very pleasant person. I do think he struggled initially in the role. I think possibly one of the things he did allude to that I think he was surprised, I think, by coming from a professional environment like the Chiefs with very, very experienced players, very skillful players, and coming over to Connaught and maybe not finding the skill level quite as he imagined it might be. I think there were times, remember, he would say in a press conference, he'd scratch his head and say, this is a head-scratcher. You know, he was completely baffled, I think, sometimes. And I think that took a, a lot out of him, you know, trying to work out and trying to fit in um, because he didn't have anyone, you know, I suppose if he'd bought, been able to bring someone with him, maybe, you know, as a, a sounding board or whatever, yeah. but he probably didn't have that. So I don't know why he's been, he's been fired there. They ha- obviously, they have to have some valid reasons, and he would... Obviously, because it's still the negotiations are obviously ongoing, and he would believe that they don't. Obviously, mm. so you know, it's it's can't say any more than that. No, certainly not, Dave. How did you? you know, you've been there all season. You've seen Kieran Kane from the start right up till the end. Certainly, at the very end, I thought he looked very comfortable in his role. What 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 are your thoughts on it? I think I I think Lenny would have a much better idea of exactly what rugby culture is like in New Zealand but I think it's something you've made clear of over the course of the year is that in New Zealand being a rugby coach weirdly even though it's the national game it's, there's not as much focus on you and I think here he was slightly surprised initially by how much focus there was on him he's a completely different character from, from Pat Lamb Pat was all gregarious and one of the things that the national media seemed to be making a big deal about the fact was that he wasn't he wasn't being seen at schools he wasn't being seen um, wasn't being seen high-fiving the, the kids the kids around the ground that's not who he is as a person and it took him a while to get used to the idea that that sort of thing is important here it's about 
you're not just a you're not just a rugby coach. You're a face of an organisation, and I think it took him a while to get used to that. That he was to be the public face of the organisation. One thing I will say about him is he doesn't seem to take he doesn't seem to suffer fools gladly. And I thought I think I think again he he didn't necessarily come across, depending on your point of view. I'd come across as gruff or taciturn when in fact he was just going when, when the problem was he was just going I don't really feel the need to answer this question to this person because this, this is, a, this is in, in his own view he seemed to come, come across as that he thought it was not a particularly good question I've seen I've been there when, when I've seen I've seen his reaction to what, what to what he regretted he was never I never found him rude mm. I never see him, saw him do anything rude it's just he's not Pat Lamb and that seems to be for the national media one of the biggest problems with Kieran Keane well um, well, 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 Johan van Graan is not does not strike me as being someone who high fives the kids down down in Cork or in Limerick, but he still doesn't make, doesn't necessarily make, mean he's a bad coach. There's loads of coaches who are who are taciturn. There's loads of coaches who are not you know media friendly. That doesn't make them bad coaches. So he was growing into the role. The last press conference, he was very very good. He, I, I agree with the guys. He was getting more and more comfortable with the role as he was going into the role. Those first few months, it's a culture shock as well. It is not New Zealand. It is Ireland. It is. There are only four rugby coaches in Ireland, and one of them. There was enough. Mess, well, well, there's four. four there's only four club co- four yeah. club coaches, and one of them was there was a, there was a there was a big problems going on in Ulster. One was leaving anyway, so the only real coach that had experience of the Irish media was Leo. And here comes this guy who's not, who's never been a head coach before, it, and coming into a new culture with a new system. So yeah, it's going to take. Any of us dropped into that in a different country would struggle. And I thought he was handling it well, and he was going into the role. Mm. I agree with Lindy. We don't know what's going on in the dressing room. We don't know what's going on in the training pitch. But those are issues that, again, we can only speculate on. But in terms of what he did with Foss, no, I never had a huge problem with the guy at all. I suppose I would ask this one question: mm. If if Connett had beaten Gloucester. Yeah, and they had gone into a, a semi-final, which would have assured Champions Cup rugby. Mm. Would Karen Keane have been fired? I don't know, and and I think that's a question that maybe you know in time we might find out from Connacht and put that question to them. If Karen Keane had achieved Champions Cup rugby this season, would you have still fired him? Good question. I think we'll take a break there. And uh, just a quick thanks to sportsnewsireland.com for their help with this podcast. They're hosting us on their site and helping us to get the news out about Connacht Rugby and promoting our podcast. So thanks very much to them. Okay, and we're back. We're going to talk a bit about the rugby in the season. I'm going to throw a couple of stats out for people just so as we can get the, the rugby discussion going. On average, we held the ball for 50%, 56% of the time during the season. For our seven wins in the Pro 14, it was down to 52. It actually is only 50 when you take out the Kings game. Territory, again, 56% during the season. For the wins, down to 50%. And the one that really sort of caught my eye, on average we kicked the ball 16, 17 times. For the six, seven wins, we kicked the ball on average 25 times. And actually, again, when you take the Kings out, which was kind of, was, was a, a smaller number of kicks, you're talking about 27, 28%, 28 times. Why don't the players who get... We've just been talking about it off-air. Get into detail about all the stats they do. How can they not look at this and see that they weren't kicking the ball enough? When they kicked the ball more than 17 times in a game, they won. Can I ask a question? 
I didn't think the kicking against Leinster was one of our strong points. It's the quality of the kick. You can kick the ball 26 times and kick it straight down the throat of somebody else. It's the quality of the kick. I, I think, I don't mean to belittle your stats, but I'd need to sit, go back and look at those seven wins and see the quality of the kicking. But uh, yeah, but like if it was one or two games, I'm talking seven games, and seven games we won. Seven but games surely, we won. You go back and you take it. it. You kick the ball. We don't own the ball as much. It's more about what we do off the ball. Oh, yeah. Our, our defence was better but in those games. It depends what the opposite, how the opposition deal with it. Some sides yeah. are, are set up to deal with a kick game, and some aren't. I think the other thing is that remember this was the changeover from, from keep the ball in possession under Pat Lamb and varying the play. So I think this is this was part of the change in the way the game was played and I think Kieran Keane said it very early on in the season that they wanted to vary it they did want to kick more they didn't want to stuff it up their jumper inside their own 22 and try to march it out like they used to they, they, they did all last season and that was good because it gave Connacht the confidence to actually play keep the ball in hand and play which was great but I think what we were seeing was basically a new a slightly variation of the style to actually go towards kick when it was more prodigious to kick mm. I wonder if the morning I wonder if we it's weird it, I would suggest there maybe something we need to look at in terms of the, the figure in terms of possession when we have the ball and, and territory when we have the ball is how many in those games we lost how many visits to 22 yielded no points I think that's a much but I think that's been a bugbear of mine for not just this season but previous two seasons mm. bugbear of mine the last two three seasons the amount of Attacking lineups in the 22 that were lost. Um, I perhaps it's one of those things. The reason our execution was better when we were confident having taken points, whereas in those games where we were chasing the game, the things start to go wrong. So I just wonder if that might all explain some of those things as well. I mean, I have to go back and look at all 22 games again to really see. <laughs> 21. The breakdown is 21. Is number we've lost a game this season. <laughs> we, 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 well, we lost a game. We are not. We did. We played one game less this season. But I, I just thought it was it was an interesting you know one that jumped up. And again, these are these are the Optus stats. So they, these aren't the stats that the, the coaches use. They obviously have more information. But sometimes you know because it was something that was sort of done and uh, that that sort of. I was looking at it going, there's something different, and that's the only one I could find. There is, like, there's small differences between various things throughout the season, but that was the biggest one. That's the biggest one that jumps out. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that came across a bit watching, uh, watching every game was that Sides weren't particularly concerned if Connacht had the ball. Mm. And we didn't ask enough of other sides' defensive lines. We Connacht moved the ball up in a very predictable manner, or it looked that way, and the opposition, as long as they made their tackles, weren't being asked to do anything particularly difficult. When we got the ball, Connor got the ball out wide, and you see Matt Healy or Niadi Loken on the ball, that things change then, because suddenly when you've got pace to burn, you can change things. But you were looking for kicks in behind, stuff like that. But again, that's easier to do if you can get a few more wins on the board. Winning gives confidence and it covers up a multitude of other issues. And they just didn't win enough games, in my opinion. And that's be- where confidence drifts away. Players become a bit unsure of themselves. Mm. And they don't want to risk doing anything. Because mm. they tried it the week before and it didn't work. And now they're thinking, well, the best thing to do now is to make sure we don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. But if you don't ask enough of the opposition defence, um, they're, a- they're able to close us out. And that happened a lot 
I think the confidence thing is the big issue because if you, even if you look at Jack Carty's that the last little chip and mm. Karen Keane actually said in the press conference it was something that they had practiced and been <laughs> waiting to do it and finally in the last match and it was executed you know beautifully and and it worked so I suppose you know I think confidence is a big thing for, for players and I do think that they were but I mean, on your on the wonder does does Jack if that game is there's three points in that game rather than at that stage we had the bonus point one does Jack try that and I, and I just wonder I, do, I, I totally agree with you in terms of confidence but it's just even within a game Jack doesn't do that at the start of the game he does that when he's 20 points up so I, 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 I'm, I'm, back, I'm trying to back your point there rather than anything else Okay, so let's let's move it on. We've we've sort of talked about there isn't a whole hell of a lot more to talk about from a playing point of view of the season, mainly because it wasn't that good a season really. Um, even though we did go unbeaten in the pool stages in Europe, but you know we've seen that they were against one team, two, what well, one team went down, and the other two were the second last teams. So um, you know where we are, we are where we are. Okay, so let's talk about slightly happier things. The last night was the awards night. Um, Lindley and William were at the awards, so I'll just bring up a couple of things, a couple of the players that won awards. You had Paul Boyle winning the Academy of the Year, Player of the Year, sorry, Academy Player of the Year last night. You had uh, Tom Farrell winning the Fans Player of the Year, and I won't take any credit for annoying the clan stand all season about that. How many times did you vote on it? The Women's Club Player of the Year was Adele McMahon. The Women's Players Player of the Year was Alison Miller, who's, I believe she's walking around with her broken leg because that was a that was an awful break uh, and then we had finally I think the players player of the year was Jared Butler so it was a good night last night William yeah it was an enjoyable night it's, it's a night for the professional game and the amateur game to sort of to mix a little bit I mean Ballina got awards Sligo coaches and very good to see Leo Galvin get in the um, lifetime merit lifetime, award. Yeah, lifetime contribution um, and Leo Galvin played in the first Connacht match I ever saw, which was against New Zealand in 1974. So uh, we're both still going strong, which is good. Um, I think uh, yeah, it was it was good. I think Jared Butler was a, was a very obvious one, and I think Tom Farrell has become a crowd favourite. And they are some of the highlights that we have seen this year, where players have kicked on a little bit in a difficult year. Yeah, and that's what you look for. You're looking for high points. And one thing that struck me right through the season, I've said this a few times, the strength and conditioning side of things and the return to play for injured players and the fact that the injury list has got smaller and smaller is uh, a huge help. And it has been pointed out, and that's one of the questions that was sort of being put in the ether to Kieran Kane was, listen, you had the best available nearly all the time. You were, You had very few injured players obviously players disappear off to Ireland and you're never going to have a squad that's completely injury free but that was kind of that was kind of inferred during the week that there was a lot of players available this wasn't a side that was having to be changed because of injury to five or six players every week and uh, that was one of the points for discussion but I think that was a high point and um, it was a good night Lenny did you enjoy it? Oh, I always enjoy the end of season <laughs> kind of rugby. It's actually an, a great opportunity to talk to, you know, uh, even players in a, in a relaxed environment when you you know you don't have a notebook and a, or a tape recorder stuck in their faces, and it's a nice opportunity to talk to some of the people from the clubs as well. And in that regard, I'm, I'm 
was delighted to, to have a chat to Leo Galvin and to, to see him win that award. He has put a, a long service in, into rugby in Connacht. And the other person I, I, I think who deserves some plaudits was particularly the way he he conducted his presidency of Connacht this year was Brian O'Byrne. And he did make a you know, he did make a, a lovely speech um, thanking everybody and, you know, applauding all the, 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 the branch and, you know, the work that has gone on but I think he has been a he's been a very he was a very good president he was I think he was delighted I think what did he say that he'd gone from Belfast to Bloefontein and from uh, somewhere else to Glasgow was it and uh, no I think and obviously and himself and his wife Trish have been you know involved in Connor Rugby for a long time in fact I think Brian O'Byrne said that he was at Mold, John Muldoon's first match in 2003 and mm. he was the president it was nice that he was the president and of course they would have had a long relationship playing with Gorwegians as well and actually on that note just to congratulate John Muldoon and his wife Lorna on the birth of their little boy Scott yes indeed well wishes to everybody I, Dave you didn't you, you didn't oh hang on I was going to say he'll be in the academy when he's about 14 I expect I think John will have him out there very soon with a rugby ball <laughs> He'd probably be a good kicker too. Uh, John John's got a hundred percent record as kicker. As far as I know, he's the only Connacht player to have a hundred percent kicking record that I could find. Anyway, Dave, you and me didn't make it, do we? Sure, we didn't. No, but that's because we're we're keeping it real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't sold out to the man. No, it's it's no, it's it's just. Um, we didn't go along last night. I'm delighted. It's nicely. It's nice at the end of the year you can have these awards. And I know it's, it seems to be the done. It seems to be that everybody's doing it. I know that Leinster also had their awards this week, and uh, see Dan Levy got their players bird here, and you have to say yeah, that seems pretty. That's a pretty good decision there. I know they probably haven't seen in Munster and Ulster as well. I'm glad everybody had a great. And it is nice to see the likes of Sligo getting the coach of the year and Ballina. I mean, we have Ballina's fantastic. Male rugby. Is, it was a minority sport. But I remember as a kid, like there was a team in Westport and there was a team in Ballina and they were, I don't know what division they were in, but they really didn't get that much coverage in the Mayo media. And I know Rob has done a sterling amount of work with the Mayo News, but the Western people would occasionally put a report in. So they have a team now in the AIL and we've seen that the standard there is quite good. I mean, the AIL final this weekend was, was, was between Lansdowne and Corkham was a good final. It's nice to see a Mayo team in there as well. We hope also that it also that Colwegians and Corinthians have better seasons than they had this year there's, there's a lot of sterling work going in there so it's nice that you get one night of the year where it's not all about the professional game it's not all about the, about the bigger names and the Ireland names you know they deserve all the credit they get as well but to see Sligo, Balanel, Leo Galvin I know there was an award to a, to a couple and a name completely escapes me who won the, who won the award there for, for achievement Pickets, yes, the Pickets. They did from Gort RFC. From Gort, another small club that's doing sterling work in an area that wouldn't necessarily be a rugby stronghold. So it's great to see these types of people going, and it's great to see the branch give them recognition. And uh, I say, long may it continue. And uh, hopefully, in the future, though, it will be part of a, a bigger celebration because I know the one after the um, after the final in, Ed- in Edinburgh was one hell of a shindig, and I, I do believe Lindy you were at that one too. I'm sure Lindy was. I'd just like to mention Buccaneers um, didn't have the best of seasons. So hopefully they'll have a good a good season next year because we now have five Connacht teams in the AIL. Okay, so let's talk about our players who who stood out for us. And you guys already know my player here, but I'll, I'll throw some stats. He led the league with the most carries and the most offloads, and he was fourth with defenders beaten, only three behind the, or four behind the top player with defenders beaten. And that's Tom Farrell. Had a heck of a season. William, who's your player? Um, toss of a coin between uh, Jared Butler and uh, Gavin Thornbury 
I'm going to give it to uh, Jared Butler because I think he was more consistent over a longer part of the season and um, I think he he's, he understands his role here he's a very interesting guy to talk to uh, I think he's very deeply about his rugby and um, he's going to be vital going forward for next season because there is a potential leadership gap now I think when you have somebody like a John Muldoon there for so long there's always a temptation for everybody to think John will do that mm-hmm. John will fix this mm-hmm. John knows what to do what do you think John whereas now other people have got to put their hands up they do indeed Dave your your choice well, like William I'm, I, I'm, it's a toss of a coin I do my natural instinct is go with the quick lads out the back who, uh, who run away from, 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 from the violence and I have to say the two wingers both Matt and Nia and to a certain degree King Keller as well all have had to come back from some form of injury but I, I do think Gavin Thornby does get a mention especially in the second half of the season because he came in here he did have a point to prove he, he'd gone to New Zealand he'd been let go from the academy um, so leaving Leinster is not a terrible thing players need to realise that he, was, um, he actually had a full contract for a let go from a year he'd come through the academy and had a contract and was let go yeah well, sometimes Leinster can make mistakes too. Yeah. Um, I spe- but I mean, if you consider that he was, he had to step up. Himself and James Cannon had to step up when both Olton and Quinn were called up. To be honest with you. So when and Andrew hadn't quite come back from his injury that stage, you were down to two guys who weren't really known, and they had to step up. And they were there in that period in, in January where um, where we, you know, where we won the four games. Those guys both put their hands up and. Thornbury held on to his place, and Thornbury was keeping an Irish international out of the starting lineup. Uh, I think he's improved. I know. I keep going on about the fact he was part of this fantastic UCD team that included the likes of Porter and 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 Adam Byrne and Barry Daly and Ross Byrne, all part of them. And he was the lock. He was the guy winning the lines out. They, I saw them here, and they destroyed Galway's and they absolutely pummeled them off the pitch. And he was at the heart of it. He took a while to settle in. Not like everybody else, it was new. He wasn't sure about where he about you know he was trying to find his way. But the second half of the season, and from January onwards, I think he's been superb, and he capped it off with a majestic display against Leinster. And the only reason he got mad match because was because Shane Delahunt was out of this world. He certainly was, Lindley. Um, I'm kind of veering between Tom Farrell I'm going to say two so Tom Farrell on the backs Jared Butler Jared Butler for his leadership qualities Tom Farrell for being a fellow who came in and literally just really just adapted so well to that backline was the mainstay that backline had to put up when Bundy wasn't there Mm -hmm. and I think he was I thought he was outstanding I would also make mention of I know that, and then we have we're, we've been blessed because we have very, three very strong hookers mm. in Tom McCartney and Dave Heffernan and Shane Delahunt. But I think that performance of Shane Delahunt's against Leinster just has to go up there as, as probably one of a, a more memorable performance of a player. And like that, when it comes to Gavin Thornbury, of course, I think he's like another one who made a brave decision to go to New Zealand to mm. learn, mm. and he went to Wanganui, which is literally about 40 miles from my hometown and he learned a lot over there and I think it says something for a young player who's prepared to do that in order to improve so I think we'll see a lot more of Gavin Thornbury in the next season I think we will, that's going to be very interesting now we'll start finishing up here now, any last thoughts before we, we end the podcast? William? 
Um, I don't think it's the end of season that we probably wanted to have or maybe expected to have. Um, you feel that when we get the announcement, they need to follow up fairly quickly with the announcement of who the new head coach is going to be and they need to get ready for action. We've had two bad pre-seasons, that's been acknowledged by everybody um, in the organisation that is Connacht Rugby, so they need to get ready to rumble very quickly. I think the players are back right at the end of June and I think they'll come back with a lot of purpose and a lot of drive and it's important that the right structures are in place to back them. Dave? Yeah, I, I can't disagree with him there. I do think we need to have a head coach in place for June. Otherwise, I mean, the statement that Kieran Kane will leave us with was there was lip service done to a you know to a preseason and a review of last year as well. There is no there's no way to prove him more right than to actually not have a head coach in place when preseason starts. Um, I agree with him. I think the two announcements should be made almost simultaneously. Um, but you look at the squad. The squad is. There are significant gaps in the squad. The leadership gap, John, John Muldoon is just almost irreplaceable in terms of what he means to God. Andrew Brown, very similar status within the squad. But uh, but apart from... And, and Jake, Jake in as well, in terms of both on and off the pitch, is, is, is a major loss as well. But you then look at the guys who are coming in. Robin Copeland, who since he seems to have been announced to sign for Connacht, has just... Just played some beautiful rugby for for um, Monster. for Munster. There's very good word coming back from Australia about how Carl Godwin is going. There, there seems to be general uh, praise for the fact that we signed David Horvitz. Um, there might there there is rumours of more signings. We'll wait and see until they put on a green shirt. I won't believe anybody's ever playing for us. But I think a most significant thing, and I want to highlight, is we've not lo- we've lost players. Yes, John has John has gone. Andrew has gone. Uh, Jake is gone. We've not lost a player to another Irish province. Now we, they are, they are all going to be stronger, but they're not going to be stronger because we, our players have moved to them. And I think that's a very good. We have a very good, solid core of players plus improvements to come in. So yeah, I, I will. I think the players will want to prove a point that this season was a very low baseline from which they will only they will only progress from. Indeed, Lindley. Yeah, I think John Muldoon and Andrew Brown are going to leave a huge hole, and not just not just in their leadership, but of their they are the epitome of what Willie Ruan talks about as being an inspiration for for the for the place for where we're from and for the people where we're from. And he Willie Ruan in his speech last night did talk about the fact that the simple. Um, reason Detra for Connor was to be an inspiration mm. and I think we have lost two inspiring people and players in John and in Andrew actually when John was actually interviewed there was a, there was a lovely part of last night which was a, a little bit of light heartedness when um, John and JP Cooney and um, Brownie, Andrew Brown were interviewed by Gavin Duffy and Ronan Lockney and John Muldoon was asked that question about the gap and the leader and who did he believe and John after going around the subject for a little while <laughs> because he was saying that every young person just develops and you know as they go on but he did he did mention he did mention three in particular and that was Sean O'Brien yeah, and Jared Butler obviously and Owen Masterson and I think when you look at those three you you know that Connor would be in good in good hands. Mm. You have Jared 
Butler, who is a very um, erudite speaker, uh, very well-managed, um, good player, good speaker, and I could, yes, I think, you know, we have someone there. Sean O'Brien obviously epitomises everything that's good about Connacht and mm. Goy being a local boy and, and plays with both his head and his heart, you know. And then you have Owen Masterson, who is has been a leader in waiting for a long, long time, ever since he led his school teams in Port Leash. And so I think in those three players, you have... You, you you know you do have the makings of people who will step into the roles that have been vacated by John and by Andrew Brown. Mull did point out, of course, that they're all back rows. <laughs> yeah, I, I was as, as Lindley said it. I was thinking, well, okay, that's the back row for next season. But you know, um, and yeah, like Sean, Sean led his school team. Like he he got Ross Gray to finals. I think he got them into senior cup finals. And um, as I say, I've I've known been watching Sean since he was five or six destroying opposition destroying our guys never mind the opposition um, playing with Galwegians um, so yeah there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of good talent and, and sometimes you know as you say we're going to miss John but in a way it's it could be the, the real opportunity for young guys to, to flower and, and really show their, their leadership I also think you know like this now this sort of it's a, it's a bit of a sorry saga to be perfectly honest what has happened this year with 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 Kieran Keane coming in with so much promise and so much hope and it's it's sad for himself and his wife and mm. obviously um because he obviously gave up a lot to come here with you know and the opportunity to take on Connacht and it hasn't ended very well for him um but i think that obviously it's quite possible they have the IRFU have someone lined up for this already. After all, if what we're hearing is the fact that you know this wasn't a decision that was just taken in the last few days of the season, it was mm. a decision that was sort of already had been decided much earlier in the season. I would expect them to bring someone in with coaching experience from not from within Connet at this stage, um, as much as I think. Um, the the co- young coaches in there like Nigel and Jimmy they probably themselves would prefer more experience to come in from which they could learn um, so I would imagine that this ad- job will be well advertised already in various places around the world yeah so okay it's it's our end of season the conduct end of season but the, the, the season still goes on I don't know if it ever finishes these days but there, there's still a few things to Few games to be played. Um, you got a semi-finals. You got the Champions Cup final this weekend, and the Challenge Cup final. You've got the Pro 12, or Pro 14, I should say, uh, semi-finals and finals. So there's a lot of rugby to be played, and then Ireland go on tour. But there's also a Barbarians game. Who and I think Pat Lamb was the head coach. All right, William. He is. Yeah, uh, they're they're doing one of their end of season games, and uh, might be a few Connacht players in in line for that. I feel, and um, then you've got Ireland's tour of Australia, which will be interesting to see. How exactly they set up for that? Uh, crucial tour, crucial tour for the Connacht players involved because it's the last one before the World Cup. Um, big opportunity to go down there and win a series. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to an Australian friend of mine, he's quite surprised by how bullish I was about Ireland because they're Australians are pretty bullish. But <laughs> I think, um, but I think they will. Uh, I think that's that's very very important. So and uh, it's a big. Yeah, just rugby just never stops. So I think we'll be back with another podcast towards the at the end of that Ireland tour, and we I'll do a little bit of investigating on this new TV deal. It's all out in the open now, 
Uh, I think it's a great deal. I think it's a fabulous deal the way they've done it. I think it's an interesting move to have all the games live. It's mm. a very, and I think that's really startled people. Uh, unfortunately, I have a horrible feeling it does mean the return of Sunday rugby. No, no, because that was one of the things I went looking, and they've said no Sunday rugby because the Welsh guys don't want Sunday rugby. So apparently, there is no Sunday rugby. Well, Hallelujah if that happens, but I don't know how you get seven games televised between a Friday and Saturday. Because they're, they're allowing games to be played simultaneously. They know not, not everybody wants to watch every game, but having every game live... Really? I know, it's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state now, Aerosport's going to run into a massive problem because they have a deal with the, um, they have a deal with the GA for the leagues which is going to... Certainly in the second half of the season, they're going to the problem that that's seven o'clock on Saturday slot... They only do have two channels. They may have. They may. I think they may run themselves into a deal where they have four games on at the same time. It'll be interesting to see how they get out of it. Um, it's very interesting TV deals. I think the one live match on TV three for the European Cup, the one live match on Channel Four. Interesting to see how that works out. It's good to see that TNG does have something. Does have some games. Uh, my contacts in Wales aren't overly happy about S4C losing their games. But again, I'm not sure that's absolutely set in stone. I do know BBC Wales have definitely lost theirs, and BBC Alba have lost theirs. Um, there is something slightly surreal about watching a game in Scott Scanlon because you realise um, you, know, you think you're understanding everything, but you're not quite sure. Um, but the more coverage there is, I think Aerosport, all, all, if, certainly in the first half of the season, the, all the games being live is going to be fun. Um, well, it also means that we won't have the situation where we won't have any games without a TMO. Yeah, next will be next will be somebody up every game with a neutral ref. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a live game; you can't not have a TMO. No, there's going to be TMOs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they've realised that has to be sorted out. So things are progressing on that, and uh, there's a few odds and ends to be tied up. I have a few questions in; I haven't had any answers yet. Okay, right. I think we'll uh, I think we'll finish it off there, and everyone and everyone's happy. So we'll we'll chat again. There was a. Strange end of season one for us, unfortunately. Like it, it should have been joyous after the the way that they played against Leinster, but unfortunately it wasn't. But um, we'll be back again before the start of the new season when we hopefully have some real news and uh, we'll let you know how Connacht are getting on and what the plans are for the future. And we might even measure how well they're doing based on their grassroots to green shirts. Bye, folks. 